Well, good morning, Sanctus Church. We're so glad that you're joining us here this morning, whether Ajax, Bowmanville, Port Perry, somewhere on a plane or train or listening somewhere in a car. Back on June 2nd, we revealed what we called Plan 2, the next five years of this God-given future in our church. And the whole plan was summarized, if you remember, into four major categories. Presence, reach, develop, and network. And like I even shared a few weeks ago, what an amazing and exciting God-given future we're now stepping into. Let me again remind you of some of the highlights. 5,500 to 6,000 people calling this their church home. A faith goal of 700 baptisms. 8 to 10 locations. Ajax, uh, Bowmanville, Port Perry, Pickering, North York, Laurel, Oakville, downtown Toronto, Port Hope, Coburg, Lindsay, Peterborough, and the Stouffville Markham border. Our goal is to have 1,500 to 2,000 people take Alpha in in the next five years. And just as a side note, I was sitting at an Alpha table on Wednesday night hearing the stories of all these people who are checking out Jesus for the first time or trying to come back. Unbelievable moment. We have a vision to start a leadership school where people who want to get into ministry can come and apprentice with us as we pour into and ready a new wave of young pastors, preachers, evangelists, and leaders. And then we talked about publicly changing our name. And of course, we changed it from C4 to Sanctus Church. Some of you are arriving today. It changed. Yes, it did. Then two Sundays ago, as we prepared to launch Alpha across our old church, we prayed, we invited, waited to see what God would do among us. Last week, if you were among us, we looked at what a fully devoted follower of Jesus looks like. And we talked about where do I find Jesus and where are the guaranteed places of encounter to be near Jesus. And we looked at the, what we call our five major discipleship dimensions as a whole church. And last Sunday, our whole community took time to personally evaluate where we think we are in our journey with Jesus. Now today, as we come sort of near the end of this mini-series on becoming fully devoted, let me focus in on some key aspects of the two last dimensions of our discipleship worldview here at Sanctus Church. Share the work and engage in mission. Around here at this church, we talk more than most churches about gift-based ministry. It's at the center of all we do. And again, if, if you're still trying to understand or you're new, go back and listen to the spiritual gift series from last year. Go to Lobby and buy, buy the book Convergence. All you need to know about spiritual gifts, what it looks like, what it feels like, how gifts work here, how disciplines work here, why Jesus used them, why we as a church are called to use them, is fully laid out. Many times over the last few years here at this church, we have talked about and participated in the invitation to become unnatural, supernatural in our generosity, sharing the good news of Jesus with neighbors and friends, giving financially and doing it cheerfully and regularly, and working locally and globally to serve the global church and serve the human family. But at this God-given moment, as we're about to, and as we are now beginning to step out to reach thousands more, moving from one region to many regions, moving from one city to many cities, as we are all genuinely trying to commit to personally and then corporately become more fully devoted, there must be a decision, a foundational bias, a supernatural reflex, a determined resolution. See, we say here all the time at this church, Jesus is not just our savior, And Jesus is not just our Lord, thank God for both of those things. He also is our model. And yes, Jesus used gifts to show us what it would look like, but he also used spiritual disciplines, holy habits, spiritual practices. Now behind the growing generosity 
And, and behind the joyful gift-based ministry, there needs to be something in this moment and over the next five years that will be the spring that feeds all we do. It is one of the quintessential markers of Christianity and it is what we call the spiritual discipline or the holy habit of service, which every single follower of Jesus is called into. Think about Jesus himself. Think about his ongoing display The one action that Jesus shows us from him leaving heaven in the first place, willingly, by the way, living a perfect life, dying a perfect perfect death, being raised from the dead, ascending to heaven, through all of that, he's a servant. He serves us personally, and he serves the world. He chose to come. I mean, he he chose to live among us. He chose to love us and teach us. He doesn't just show us a better way. He shows us the best way. We say it all the time as Christians, but he died for us. He overcame sin for us. He faced down death for us. He looked Satan into the eyes and broke him. Jesus rose from us for us. He ascended for us. In this moment, the Bible says Jesus is praying for us. And, and it says that his father is preparing a place for us. Oh, and he's given us his spirit. Jesus is generous. Jesus is self-giving. Jesus is the ultimate expression of service, which, by the way, is the foundation and the frame and the grounding for everything he did and we should do, including, by the way, gifts. Now, if there's one passage that I think encapsulates this conversation for every generation of Christians, but us in this moment, it's in John 13. And if you've got a Bible, I'd love you, would you please turn there this morning? John 13, one reads like this. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Oh, Jesus knew his hour had come. This is really important. He knew the cross was coming. He knew now the battle would be terrible. He knew he'd face down Satan, and he'd know, he knew he'd beat him. He, he knew at this moment he'd face down death, and he'd come back. He now knew with certainty that he would take on every single sin ever committed by any human being in any century. It would all be placed by him, but he would have the power to remove it all. He knew at that moment he'd go to the Father. In that moment, he knew, even in his humanness, that he'd sit at the right hand of the Father. And never forget this, Jesus knew at this moment, before the cross, before all the terrible things, that he would become the ruler of all of creation. Paul would talk about this later in Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God the Father exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Anyone want to say amen, please? Amen. But at this point, Jesus knew that was coming. And then he says this, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, the evening meal was in progress. Skip the dishes had shown up. (laughs) The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us more than John does. Judas has already made a deal with the religious leaders. Actually, Luke goes farther because this takes place, what I'm about to read before this meal, Luke 22.3. Then Satan entered Judas, called the Iscariot, one of the 12. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how they might betray Jesus. 
And they were delighted and agreed and gave him money and he consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. So Jesus is sitting in a meal and Judas has already agreed to betray Jesus to the religious and political authorities of the day, but it's actually worse. Satan is now literally inhabiting Judas, orchestrating the whole event. It says in verse three, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Oh. And that he had come from God and he was returning from God. So Jesus knew by the Holy Spirit that Judas had made the deal. Jesus could actually, have you ever thought about this? Could see Satan sitting in Judas at that meal. In his friend. Literally the prince of darkness is sitting in one of his core leaders at the center of our movement. Jesus knew he was fully from God and he was going home. And it is here with all that discernment and all that information and all that insight that Jesus now chooses to do one of the most dramatic, most epic, most mind-bending acts that's still referenced, not just by Christians, but even many, many not part of our faith as a grand moment of history. Now Luke fills in one other group of blanks for us and tells us what the conversation was like just before Jesus does this amazing thing. It says in Luke twenty-two twenty-four, 24, a dispute arose among the followers, the disciples, as to which one of them would be considered the greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings of non-Jews lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you're not supposed to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table, but I'm among you and I'm the one who serves? So with Judas and Satan and betrayal and conspiracy and argumentation of who's best and who's better and who gets the right place at the table, With all of that, Jesus then says it's better to serve and then he demonstrates it. He backs up his teaching by what? Action. He puts on the uniform of a slave. Not just any slave, the lowest ranking slave in any house. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water in a basin And he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, I think most of us, no matter where you come from, where you were born, where you grew up, we'd probably all agree that foot washing is a big deal. No matter your skin color or your gender, feet don't smell good. The gross is global for all of us. So someone actually taking socks and shoes off and washing someone's feet is personal, it's close, it violates all sorts of cultural boundaries, it's low, it's not a nice task. Oh, it's much easier to teach on foot washing, like I'm doing right now. It's much easier to preach on foot washing, it's much easier to go on seminars on foot washing, it's much easier to watch YouTube tutorials on foot washing, it's it's much easier to listen to podcasts on the power of foot washing but it's different to do it. 
So much more, of course, is going on in this ancient context. This is the full reversal of the custom of Jews and non-Jews who are wealthy. See, in this world, in this time, when an owner of a house would come home after a day of work or vacation or business, if the owner was more wealthy, they would have at least one or a group of slaves that would meet him and his guests at the door and they would immediately wash his feet. At the front door was a basin, a pitcher of, uh, of water and a towel. Culturally, in Jewish culture, uh, wives would wash their husband's feet and disciples would always wash their rabbi or their teacher's feet. But what we must understand is the owner of the house, the teacher of the house, or the head of the household as a husband would never, ever, ever wash someone else's. The husband would never wash a wife's feet. The rabbi would never wash his disciples' feet. And the owner would not even want to touch a slave because he owned them. There would be incredible shock in the room. Like disbelief, that cringy, oh my goodness, what are you doing? I'm so embarrassed for you. Like, Jesus, this is so inappropriate. I'm actually, this is like as Canadians, we like, I'm not even sure if I can talk right now. I'm just freezing. So Jesus goes one after 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 another, after another, and he begins to wash his disciples' feet, violating all the standards I wonder when Jesus was doing this, now knowing all things, now knowing the future completely, would he be saying over each one of them in his mind, Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who will bring good news. Yes, Thomas, you're going to go to Syria and then all the way to India and tell them about me and you'll, you'll be murdered for me. And Andrew, yes, you'll bring the good news to Turkey and Greece, and then you'll go to what they call the land of the man-eaters, what we call Russia today, and you'll give my life for me, but the church will go there. And Matthew, you, the former tax collector, you're going to go to Iran and then Ethiopia. The list goes on and on. In this culturally violating, beautiful moment, this moment of profound holiness of love, it is interrupted, of course, by who? Peter. Can you hear him thinking? If the rest of you are not going to stop him from this dramatic over-display and this embarrassment, this is not just inappropriate. This is wrong. So I'm going to step in and deal with it because the rest of you are cowards. Jesus comes to Simon Peter, who says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Oh, now in the original language, it reads much stronger. It reads, Lord, you of me wash the feet. Here's the implication. Oh, no, you're not going to. Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing. Oh, but later you will understand. Peter again in the moment is like, no, no, this is too much. You don't know what you're talking about. And if you notice, he literally talks right by Jesus. Remember, he's been with Jesus for three and a half years. And he's declaring that this act is inappropriate, not serious, not dramatic. It's, it's the wrong way. It's not world-shaking. It is wrong. So then Jesus is sitting there waiting to wash his feet. And Peter says, looking in God's eyes, no, you will never wash my feet. Oh, don't miss the power and the point of this. Peter seems so humble, so attuned, so spiritual, so on board. But notice, Peter does not say, I need to wash your feet, Jesus. He doesn't say, let me serve you. He doesn't look at the others and say, oh, no, no, I, I need to serve them. No, no. He says, you're not going to touch me. This isn't humility. This is pride. 
I love what the older preacher, Chuck Swindoll, once preached. This was nothing short of self-assertive pride that refuses to accept grace from another human, the kind that will not be vulnerable in front of other people. If Peter had dirty feet, he would take care of washing them. Thank you very much. No charity needed here. I'm so embarrassed for you, Jesus. I'm just fine. So why don't you back off and deal with the other weaklings around the table? Oh, again, by the way, we see two reasons why people always struggle with the truth and the message of Christianity. Uh, One, God would never love me or serve me like this. I just can't believe it. Or two, I don't need God's help. I can deal with myself just fine. Thank you very much. Jesus, still covered in the dirt of others. Jesus, still covered in the wet and sweat of others, looks at Peter and responds. Unless I wash you, Peter? Oh, no, you have no part of me. Fine, you're not my disciple. Oh, nuclear option. Three years of walking with me, it doesn't matter. Actually, you want a bold conversation, Peter? You want to be a little bit more dramatic? Fine. Let me be more clear than you. Let me be more direct than you. Let me be just a little bit more over the top because if that's what you want, look, this is not optional. This is non-negotiable. This is necessary. If you want to be my disciple, I wash your feet. And by the way, if you're taking notes today, see that phrase, no part of me? In the original language in Greek, it's a specific word that is used four other times in the New Testament, always relating to heaven and hell. So this is what Jesus is really saying. If you don't let me wash your feet, you are going to hell. Whoa. Got to catch this. See, Jesus is confronting self-protection and self-sufficiency because he's angry? No, because he loves Peter. As one person said, the words point us to a washing free from sin that only Jesus can give. Apart from his washing, no one can be in Jesus. See, this is the seeds. This is the genesis of the gospel. This is what Paul would say later. Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone, through his work alone. Ephesians 2.8, it is by grace you get saved. You get washed through faith. It's never from yourself. It's a gift from God, not by work. So no one gets to be boasting or prideful or don't touch me. Well, Peter classically responds, then Lord, he said, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You're clean, even though not all of you. Oh, Peter, breathe, breathe. You're missing the point again in the opposite direction. Look, bro, you're already clean. Many people try to make the connection to saying this is baptism, but they miss the point. Christian baptism doesn't exist yet. What, what did we learn actually in the summer? John 15, 3, Jesus says to Peter and the others, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Peter, you've already embraced me and my lordship and accepted my message. You've confessed me as the Christ, the son of God. You know I'm the one who, who's gonna save you. All I'm saying is I have to wash you. You can't do this for yourself. You're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said, not everyone's clean. Well, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? Hold hold on. (laughs) Did you just see it? Jesus, Jesus washed Judas's feet. Jesus knew the deal he'd already made. 
with a religious leader. Like Jesus sees Satan in Judas and washes his feet. And then he says, oh, you call me teacher and you call me Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Yep, you're right. I I am your teacher. I am your rabbi, but more, oh, I'm Lord. I'm king. More than king, I'm Lord. Overtones of divinity. I am God in flesh. Yes, this is who I am. Years ago, a pastor preaching on this text, I forget who it was, called his sermon, what do you do when you're the most powerful person in the room? Verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash each other's feet. Oh, did you catch it? I didn't the first few readings this week. Jesus reverses the titles. He now puts Lord in front of teacher. Remember what we learned all summer in the I Am series? Jesus, by this point, has already claimed, I'm the bread of life, and I'm the light of the world, and I'm the gate, and I'm the good shepherd, and I'm the resurrection, the life, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I'm the vine. And remember how John starts his gospel. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and Jesus was with God in the beginning. Yeah, that's true. It's all true of what you say of me. I am Lord. I am creator. So if I, your creator... If I, God, not just your God, but the only true living God, the only uncreated one, if I, your teacher, if, if I, your king, if, if I, the one who created reality and color and rainbows and angels and stars and reality, if I, who am about to conquer death and sin and Satan, have washed your feet, you really should wash each other's feet. Oh, see it. Jesus doesn't say to them, wash my feet. He says, wash each other's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Oh, remember last week? Remember we were talking about what is a fully devoted follower of Jesus and we talked about the idea of a disciple in the first century idea and remember that guy named Ray Vanderland who, who said these words like other rabbis of his day, Jesus had disciples and the disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely they'd start to think like their rabbi and then act like their rabbi. So at the center of all of Jesus in all of his humanity and all of his divinity is the spiritual discipline, the holy habit, the the beautiful practice of service. Of course, he was born in a stable. And Jesus then says these words. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus means to think like Jesus and act like Jesus. And what does that look like? Oh, Foot washing. Foot washing is dirty work. And again, notice Jesus calls us to wash each other's feet. And this brings us as a community, as a family, in a real moment of time, in a real moment where we need to ask this question. Am I in danger of being anti-foot washing yet claiming and striving to become more fully devoted all at once. Now, beyond what God might speak to you or myself about how to footwash family better or friends or enemies or in our workplaces or or spouses, I've taken some time 
and listen very carefully and compiled a series of phrases being repeated again and again across our whole church that I think is starting to show some cracks and dark sides and misunderstandings about foot washing and service. And why I want to bring it up right now is this, because we've got to sort this out now so we can do what God's asking us to do next. Here's the first one I'm hearing everywhere. No, no, I can't serve here because I don't, I'm not gifted that way. Full stop. Let me say this again. We're really big on spiritual gifts here. I mean, I wrote a book on it. We're we're pretty serious about it. We believe that everyone needs to know their spiritual gifts. We believe they're the guaranteed place of empowerment. Yes, we believe, but you can use gifts wherever you're serving. This is now becoming an easy out, an excuse, and it's not right. If you have the gift of intercession, for example, you can hold babies in a nursery and pray for them at the same time. It is possible. In other words, when you're serving on a setup team or loving a teenager or spending time with kids, pointing them to the gospel or serving in hospitality or being on a prayer team or, or leading on a worship team, none of those things are gifts. They're the environments where we use our gifts. The undergirding behind gift-based ministry, the undergirding before, underneath power and revival and all of this is service. Service is the bigger shadow than the gift. Here's another one that is concerning. I'm not angry, by the way, but very concerned. God hasn't spoken me to me directly about serving or going to that ministry or going to that site. Well, not every discipleship moment in this church is going to be a burning bush or Gabriel's going to show up and a shofar is going to go and all these flags. Not every moment's going to be a prompting of the Holy Spirit. Simply put, if you are foot washing over comfort or convenience, God is already in it. Though we believe in this church a million percent in promptings and words and listening to the Spirit, the phrase, I haven't got a word, or the Spirit hasn't confirmed to me, is now becoming an excuse and cover for anti-foot washing. He has given all of us a word. The Holy Spirit has confirmed it. How? I just preached. It's done. God's word says that we will be blessed if we foot wash. And foot washing is the act of ongoing dirty service. You do not need a word. You do not always need a revelation from the spirit what to do next. If you are foot washing, you will be blessed. That's something you can claim. Here's another. It's honest. It's, it's real. But we need to confront it. I don't find joy always in doing that thing. Yep. Welcome to foot washing. Welcome to being a slave. Welcome to self-denial. Welcome to loving others beyond yourself. I have three children. I don't like being a dad all the time. At all. But I love my children most of the time. But welcome to parenting. Our flesh will never find joy in serving because we're prideful and self-centered. Jesus teaches it's better to give than receive. Most of us think it's better to get than give. So things like, well, I can't come to church to serve, it's too early, or I don't like serving with that person, or it's not the season for me to serve, or if I step out and do what I think I'm supposed to do, or what God's calling, it's going to disrupt my routine with my kids, or I don't have time, or I don't have money, or I'm too busy, or I need a break, or the church is so large, someone else will do it. That's all anti-foot washing. Let me say it again. Someone else will do it. The interesting thing that I think is happening in our church right now is things are going so well, large, we're on the move, that actually this is 
affecting us more than we think. In the early hours of March 13, 1964, a 28-year-old woman named Kitty was stabbed and murdered outside of her apartment where she lived in New York City. Two weeks after the murder, the New York City Times published an article claiming that 38 witnesses saw and heard the attack, but no one else called the police because they all thought someone else would do it. This is actually now formally in psychological circles. It is now known as the bystander effect. When we say, well, someone else will deal with it because it's a big church, it's anti-foot washing. Now, I want to say this. Remember, this is the opportunity where we get to become like Jesus. Jesus says, you're my disciple when you think like me and you act like me, and when you serve, you'll be blessed. Now, hundreds of you are serving. You already are foot washing, and thank you. Thank you for leading the way. Thank you for showing us what it should look like. But as we approach this God-given incredible moment where we're going to reach 10,000 people, and God in his sovereignty gave our church promises that other churches would beg for, this is the moment we need to ask the question, what does foot washing look like right now at this moment across our whole church? Because if we don't get this right, we can't do what we're called to do. So there's three things I just want to address. And it's very simple. Prepare to move, prepare to give, prepare to serve. Let me explain this. Prepare to move. We're a church on the move. <laughs> so let's just take this moment. We're launching Pickering as an example in the near future. So I want to give an example for we who are at Ajax. Two weeks ago, it was almost one of our largest Sundays in history, 35 plus years. We're on the verge, actually, no, we're not on the verge. We're actually out of children's room again at this site. Praise God. Too many kids. Over 80% in all of our classrooms were so full. If you try parking here, do I have to say anything else? No problem. The auditorium is filling so quickly and it's not even Thanksgiving. You're saying Thanksgiving. What does Turkey have to do with this? Oh, lots. See, the whole church in this culture, same at Bowmanville and Port Perry, never returns until Turkey is cut because people are closing cottages and they're still traveling. So in other words, we're already starting to burst at the seams and not everyone's even back yet. So this is what foot washing means as a church. And I'm not just saying this for the moment. We need 400 people to leave Ajax for real. I love you. Leave in Jesus' name. For many of you, no, stay in our church. I'm not kicking you. Listen, listen, this is so important. We don't have room for guests. We don't have room for the thousands of others that are moving into the area that know Jesus. So for you who live in Bowmanville or near the offshore Curtis border and you're still coming to Ajax, you need to go to Bowmanville. And, and, and I keep hearing this excuse, well, John, I, I don't really want to go because I, I don't want to watch you on the screen. Really? You're watching me on the screen now? You're not looking at me. And not only that, to get really serious, brothers and sisters in North Korea are in jail for owning Bibles. Really? The screen is our issue? Come, we're, this, is a, this is a battleship. We're not running, running a cruise line here. We're trying to see people saved from hell. We're trying to bring the gospel to Durham and the GTA. We're trying to see the world change because we know if God shows up in Toronto, the whole world is changed. And we're arguing over watching me on a screen. You watch Netflix, you can do this. Not only that, if you're from Scarborough or Toronto or Markham, we need you to go to Pickering, not just because we need room, but actually we're bringing sites to you and you need to learn what it's like to run a site. 
So if you live in an area, this is how you can foot wash the church. Go to that site. And by the way, this is even more important. If you live in Ajax, Whippy, or Oshawa, and this should be your natural site, I'm going to ask you personally this morning to help foot wash the church well by choosing to go to another site for a year to help them, pray for them, serve there, and get them stabilized and then evaluate in a year if you can come back. Because we need to make sure that every single site is healthy and on the move. We need to make room at every site so more people can come. Now, poor Perry, let me speak to you. Hey, everyone up there, good to see you. Thank you so much for your incredible work lately. You've been working all these Saturdays and these Thursdays, getting your new site ready and giving time and money. I mean, it's incredible. But I need just to say one thing to you. I don't ever want to hear from someone in Port Perry again say, well, I don't want to go to two services because I know everyone. You have joined a church that's going to reach 10,000 people. When we open that new building, your prayer should be, oh God, would you move in such power? We have to go to three services at this site, not one. All of us need to understand, we are going to do this because we want people to have eternal life. Amen? That's why we're into this. So very simply, you at Bowmanville, once the serving thing has worked out, you're going to grow too. And it's amazing you all know each other. But remember, we went to Bowmanville. We went to Port Perry. We started here in Ajax. We're going to Pickering. We're going to Toronto because we want people who are far from Jesus to meet him. And we need to make room. Comfort doesn't matter when eternity's at stake. So everyone, number one, how do we foot wash? We get ready to move. Comfort doesn't win. Movement does. Number two, prepare to give. Last year, last June, Dave and I shared the generosity in this church has been amazing. Two years ago, our giving grew by 17%. Last year, our largest budget in history, it grew by 12% and we overgave. Our goal to reach 300,000 for the Vision Fund, we gave 314,000. Incredible. But how do we wash each other's feet? By all of us giving cheerfully and faithfully. You might not know this, our budget for this year is $3.3 million. It's our largest in history, and we all need to give. And as I've been talking to Dave, just in the last week, our giving is now falling behind. Two weeks ago, let me say this again, across all of Sanctus Church, it was one of our largest church gatherings in history, and it was our lowest, one of our top three lowest giving moments in our history at the same time. We had more people here and less giving all at once. So how do we foot wash without this being a guilt trip? Because the organization is fine and we're so excited and God's doing all this. We're not in crisis, but how do we choose at this moment of good? Well, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one of you, not some of you, each one of you should consider what you're going to give, decide in your heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Come ready to give. Now, there's two other key thoughts that this week I got that shocked me. I just need to throw out there. 30 to 40% of households in this church that call Sanctus Church their home, give nothing. So just hold on a sec. 30 to 40% of households, not individuals, when they come in and out in connect groups and out, they give nothing. That's not foot washing. We are called not to equal amounts, but to equal sacrifice. Number two, really practically, 33% of our giving is pre-authorized through the portal, through the bank, right? That means 67% of our amazing giving, which is pretty amazing, isn't stable. So here's three ways in this next season, all of us can foot wash better. One, every single household should give regularly, not equal amounts, equal sacrifice, small or large. Number two, for we who had the, the blessing of traveling this summer and going off and being at cottages, if we stopped giving or missed our giving, 
How do we foot wash our whole church? We need to make that up. And third, consider signing up in some type of pre-authorized or portal giving so we can have more stable giving. That's just a very simple, practical, foot-washing discipline that will help us continue to have right momentum as God does amazing things about us. So number one, prepare to move. Number two, prepare to give and keep giving. And by the way, for all of you that are giving and you're doing it, thank you, thank you, thank you. And here's the third, prepare to serve. Last year's assessment, the one we did just last week, a year ago, in 2018, revealed, we revealed that our share of the work number was 1.98 out of five. So we as a family actually said this was one of our lowest areas. And so we need to see a vast foot washing moment across all sites. So last year in 2018, 815 teenagers and adults served in Sanctus Church. And that's incredible. But there is 2,700 teenagers, young adults and adults who attend our church. That means approximately 1,900 of us didn't serve here at all last year. So we've got 30 to 40% of households giving nothing. We've got 1,900 1900 of us not serving in any capacity in our church. And then God has called us to reach 10,000 people and move sites. See, something has to give because this, this cannot continue. And at the basis of this is not momentum. It's, it's not organizational integrity. It's this. This is about being like Jesus. This is about being countercultural. This is actually saying it is better to give than receive. This is actually deeper than that, where you say, I am going to move and I'm going to give and I'm going to serve, not because I'm excited all the time, but because I want to think like Jesus and I want to act like Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hand this over to site pastors at each site. And at this moment, we're going to have site pastors come up and talk about the very specific needs at Port Perry, at Bowmanville, here at Ajax, and in Pickering. But I just want to end my time with this. We have an incredibly bright future. We are going to reach 10,000 people. We have God's blessings and promises, and we're getting invited to be like Jesus. So what I'm saying today is invitation and exhortation. Jesus says that you will be blessed if you serve. And we cannot walk into our God-given future unless all of us who claim to be disciples actually become the most excellent foot washers possible. So here's what we're going to do. Ushers, if you want to stand up right now at all sites, and if you want to start distributing what you're supposed to distribute, everyone can just sit back for a second, and then at your site, site pastors are going to come up, and we're going to address what we need to practically on the ground to start making a very significant difference here. You know, hopefully uh, you heard real strongly from Pastor John this morning, and we've been praying for you uh, all week. We've been praying for John, too, because that's a tough message to deliver. And hopefully you do hear it in a real spirit of love and uh, from us as pastors that we really believe God has an amazing future for us as a church, and we really believe God has good things for you. And so together, we got to rally around this tough message to hear and to look at the example of Jesus and to say yes to some of the things that we've heard uh, from John this morning. So this card is specifically related to share the work. Uh, you heard about preparing to move and preparing to give, and there are pastors and staff who uh, can talk more with you about that. But uh, this is for really those of you who are uh, not serving, that this is your church home and uh, you haven't yet found a place to serve. 
And maybe as you heard John list some of those reasons, maybe you've heard some of those things come out of your mouth as well. And this is not about condemnation. This is about an invitation to say yes, to become more like Jesus, to really join into the work that God is doing here at Sanctus Church. And so uh, you can see at the top, there are some mission critical things uh, in our kids ministry and in production. We have some pretty critical needs. And then down below, there's some other areas to serve, guest services, prayer, worship, young adults, compassion, and youth. And so if you're interested in serving in any of those areas, you can check that box. And then at the bottom, one of the ways that you can let us know that you are prepared to move is by ticking off a box for a site other than Ajax. And if you do that and include your name and contact info at the bottom, then we'll follow up with you very quickly in the next day or so, and we'll start a conversation. So we're going to give you a minute now. you got pens. Um, go ahead and fill this out. Uh, if, if you are sure that God is asking you to stay here in Ajax, we're thrilled about that, and we'd love to see you step up and serve. So uh, just check off the Ajax box. If there's another site that you think God is calling you to go to, if you live west of here and you're excited about what's happening in Pickering as we get ready to launch, then check off that box, uh, Bowmanville, Port Perry, other sites there. Make sure you put your contact info because we do want to have a follow-up conversation with you in the next couple of days through this week uh, so that we can give you more information about what it means to serve in these areas. So take a couple minutes now and fill out this card, and then we'll continue on in our service. Uh, So God, thank you that you're here with us. Thank you that you are present when we gather together like this, that your spirit is here among us. Uh, God, thank you for your word, uh, that it encourages us, it gives us hope, uh, that sometimes it rebukes us and it corrects us, that it trains us in righteousness. Uh, Thank you for the example and the model of Jesus. Thank you for his life, how he served uh, you, God the Father, how he served uh, the call on his life, to be the suffering servant, how he ultimately served all of humanity by giving up his life to death, even death on a cross. Uh, God, we say thank you for the example that we have in Jesus of washing feet of those around him, the master who makes himself the servant. And so God, we now want to be more like Jesus. And uh, God, we ask that you'd really continue to speak to our hearts about how we do that individually and collectively as a church. So God, thank you that you've been with us as we've heard uh, a tough message. God, thank you for the encouragement that your spirit gives. Thank you for the model and the example of Jesus. Uh, We say that you're worthy of everything that we have to give, that our entire lives, all of who we are, given to you as a living act of worship. And so we continue to do that now. Jesus, the suffering servant, Jesus, the risen king, Jesus, the one who uh, gave his life to save us, to rescue us, Uh, and to be an example for us. So Jesus, receive our worship now as we do this together in your name. Amen.